sign. What is up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, everything in between. Welcome back to The Underground, episode six of Pop Culture Underground, unforgiving takes, passionate opinion on all things pop culture, news, reviews, media, and more from a fan just like you. If this is your first time listening to the show, I would like to thank you more than you will ever, ever know. This is a show where I give my unforgiving takes, my passionate opinion, and I bring all the energy and invest all of my effort and time so you do not have to. You just get to sit back and listen for 30 minutes to an hour for all the pop culture news, reviews, media, and more to be brought right into your ear holes. And if that's not enough for you, you can follow me on all forms of social media on Twitter at Pop C Underground, on Facebook at Pop C Underground, and on Instagram at Pop C Underground. You can also send in an email. We also have a brand new website up. It is very basic at the moment, still has a lot of work to go into it. And right now, it still has a really, really lame domain, but I'm going to read it for you anyways. It is pop culture underground dot pinecast dot co up there on that website you can get all of the show's episodes and coming will be some written pieces going up there from me and hopefully from some other people as well and yeah we will get that thing going and get right along with that thing we are just a moving along over here with this podcast and i try to make it unlike most other pop culture podcasts that are out there all million of them so if you did go through all of them and you chose this one to listen to I absolutely adore you. I am Jordan, your host, your producer. Let's go ahead and get into the topics we are going to be discussing this episode. We're going to kick things off this episode with Pop C Weekly and talk about The Boys. Season 2 early reviews are in and they are very praising of the hotly anticipated new season. The Mandalorian Season 2 premiere date has been revealed and I will also give my thoughts on Season 1 of that show. We have a new Star Wars rumor claiming the upcoming Obi-Wan series on Disney Plus will take place in two time periods, not one, two, potentially allowing for Anakin Skywalker to show up. Hayden Christensen, anybody? And Mark Millar has revealed what will be coming up next for his division of Netflix. And boy, it is exciting. And one thing on that man's name, I dug up a tweet from this guy from 2010 because I... I, you know, I am terrible with pronunciations, but I am not the only one that struggles with Mark Millar's name. Mark Millar, Mark Miller, however you want to say it. Mark Millar on Twitter back in 2010 actually tweeted that both pronunciations of his last name are correct and both spellings are technically correct. Historically, it's a trade name and was pronounced differently by region is what he said. So, ha to any of you trying to tell me that I am pronouncing that name wrong. You can tell me I am pronouncing every other name in the world wrong, but not this one. I just had it proven. In fact, I dug up five different videos that were solely about how to pronounce Mark Millar's last name. So when I say his name, I say Mark Millar. When I'm talking about his division of Netflix, I call it Miller World. That's just how I roll, baby. Deal with it. After Pop C Weekly, we will be hitting up DC Weekly to talk about Titans Season 2 Rewatch. I rewatched Titans Season 2, and I would love to give it a rating. I would absolutely love to give that show a rating, because oh my goodness, do I have some unforgiving takes and opinion on that season. 
because, man, I love the Titan show in general, but we'll get into that. After DC Weekly, we will be heading over to Marvel Weekly to talk about Thor Love and Thunder as Natalie Portman arrives in Australia, and Ant-Man 3 director Peyton Reed spoke about the upcoming Ant-Man film with SiriusXM and what he said. Looking ahead, next episode is The Boys Season 2 Review. It will be the very first ever spoil it episode. So I will be breaking down this review in two separate episodes, which is the same thing I did on the Supercast podcast. I will be doing a normal episode, which will have a boys review in it, and it will be spoiler free. I will then be doing the first ever spoil it episode, and I will be spoiling the hell out of the boys season two. All right. With all of that said, let's roll on in to pop. See Weekly. The Boys Season 2 debuts on Amazon Prime September 4th, and so far, the reviews have been overwhelmingly positive. As many critics are pointing out, it is a natural evolution of Season 1, and it is surprisingly fresh, as that is still so hard to do nowadays in the superhero genre. Now, I'm going to read to you some reviews. One by the AV Club states... The best thing about the second season of The Boys is how smartly it adds complexity and depth to its characters and stories. TV Guide says, The wild first season felt impossible to top, but the second season of The Boys, which premieres September 4th on Amazon Prime, does just that. One of my favorites, Den of Geek, says, In essence, The Boys Season 2 explores the horrible power of abusive relationships, not only with Homelander, but also between Billy and Huey in the backstory of Kimiko, and in some ways even with Vought's own history of exploitation, which takes on a new depth this year. Fortunately, it's not simply a case of the new season pleasing established fans of the show, which it certainly will. It may also win over those who were on the fence after finding a few characters to like in season one. One of the most exciting things that I'm really looking forward to in this second season is how The Boys Season 2 is going to enhance the most compelling aspects of the first season and also how it's going to carry on its political message, whether you believe in its political message or not. I don't think you really have to agree or believe in it to understand and enjoy it. The Boys is so good at towing a fine line, but it's also a fine line that they break through on many occasions and get very offensive, and I am so excited to see that continue in Season 2. I love the offensive aspects of The Boys. I am a very offensive person, I guess you would say. I'm also extremely excited to see how the relationship between Homelander and Stormfront is going to come to be and how it's going to work out because it looks very fascinating in the trailers we've seen, very raunchy in the trailers we've seen, but that's The Boys, right? And and getting back to the political point, so to speak, that The Boys makes, you could argue that The Boys actually does not really try to make profound points. You could argue that it really does. But either way, it, it's very smart in the way that it does so, the way that it toes that line. And man, oh man, am I excited to see how much further along Huey has come in his days with The Boys. And also, I would love to see what they are going to take out of the comics this time around, as they changed a lot of, well, I don't know if you would say a lot of things, but they definitely changed some things from the comics in Season 1, but they did that while staying very true to the comics at the same time. I love the boys' comics. They are some of the best out there. Garth Ennis is awesome, and I just cannot wait 
to see season two of The Boys, September 4th. Disney Plus has spoken. The highly anticipated second season of Star Wars The Mandalorian is finally making its way to TV screens around the world. It will be premiering on October 30th on Disney Plus, and this is the way I had to say that. I had to say that. It's just it's just common common saying nowadays when you're talking about The Mandalorian. You say anything about The Mandalorian, you say this is the way because that is the way. All right, so in season 2, Moff Gideon is going to have a much bigger role, and I know we are all very, very, very excited to see what that role will be after his appearance in the final episode in that big spoiler scene that we saw at the very, very end. And of course, who isn't excited to see where Baby Yoda, aka the child, is going to be heading in this season? I can't wait to see what kind of creatures they're going to have to fight. I cannot wait to delve more into the backstory of the child. In fact, you know what? There was an interesting theory that I read about a week ago that claimed that the child very well could be an answer from the Force to Anakin Skywalker not being the chosen one. It really depends on what you believe as far as Anakin's origins go, since they're still kind of unclear. But in episode one, Anakin's mother herself said that the Force had a hand in his birth since there was no father, and she believed it was all from the midichlorians. Now, I don't like talking about the midichlorians. I hate midichlorians. I hate all of that. That stuff. They, they got way too technical when it came to the Force, and I am preaching to the choir here. I know. I know. Trust me. But I think that would be really cool if that theory were correct. If the Force did say, okay, Anakin, you want to be a little bitch? You want to hate sand? You want to do all this nonsense? All right, fine. We are going to give you Baby Yoda. And now here he is gracing our screens, making nerds, geeks, and housewives alike very, very happy just to see his cute little green face. Now, Mandalorian Season 1 was absolutely phenomenal. I loved the spaghetti western style it brought. I loved the battles and fights that they brought. I loved the aspect of the Mandalorian himself. Of course I loved Baby Yoda. Who the hell didn't? And I actually really enjoyed that there was no real, true, clear plot to the whole thing. It was more of a one-shot adventure each episode is kind of how I looked at it. I looked at it as a comic book each episode, and they all had their own subplots and stories that were really, really well done. Jon Favreau is a god, and I just, I loved The Mandalorian Season 1, and I cannot wait to see what they are going to bring with Season 2, and how they can kind of sand off those rough edges that the show had, because there were a little bit, but man, the production value of the show was like a movie, and it was basically the old school Star Wars that we were all clamoring for since Rogue One came out, because Rogue One really brought a lot of that old school Star Wars feel right back onto our TV screens. And while The Force Awakens kind of did the same thing because they did a lot of practical effects and really brought you back into the atmosphere and feel of Star Wars, I felt like Rogue One actually did it better than the whole new Star Wars trilogy in general because I really it really went off the rails, especially with the last movie. And I can still watch the last movie and enjoy it, but man, it, it just seems like J.J. was just forced to do all kinds of things that maybe he did not want to do, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was all J.J.'s idea. I, I don't know. It's like beforehand, it's like, man, 
you know, some part of me was like, get rid of Ryan Johnson. No, keep Ryan Johnson. Oh, I'm so glad JJ's back. Oh, maybe they shouldn't have brought JJ back. I, I don't know. I feel like they didn't even know what they truly wanted to do. I truly feel like they actually did have a plan mapped out for the trilogy, but I felt like those plans got completely cut in half, cut in three fours, cut in four fours, cut in whatever the hell you want to say. I feel like their plans that they had either completely got derailed or they didn't even have it all mapped out or they just kind of had a rough draft mapped out and they kept tweaking it and kept tweaking it. And when The Last Jedi was so divisive, they course corrected and changed. And I, I just, I don't know. I felt like they had a plan going with JJ and then they just completely changed all of that and went a totally different direction in The Last Jedi, which which is fine if you then commit to that, which I don't feel like they did. It's like they course-corrected three different times. They almost don't even feel like they are in the same franchise. They are that different. I mean, each movie is way different than the other, and that is not a bad thing in and of itself, but it is a bad thing when you totally turn everything on its head with The Last Jedi, but then you try to go back upright and courts correct, and it just feels like it's not a well-thought-out plan. But I do believe The Mandalorian Season 1, it was a lot more of a, I I would almost call it like an anthology season, because each episode was almost contained to itself. It did have a larger story, I know that, but I actually did like the aspect of a one-shot episode each week. That was really cool. And I will give The Mandalorian Season 1 four Baby Yoda plush dolls out of five, awarding it with a prestigious Undie Award. Now, if you do not know what the hell I'm talking about and you are laughing in your seat, let me explain real quick. An Undie is the top rating that I give things from the Pop Culture Underground rating system. So it's a three-tier rating system, and it is in honor of my all-time favorite TV show, The Office. Now, if you do not watch The Office, I am sorry But here is the explanation. An undie is very much like a Dundee award that Michael Scott gives his employees at Chili's. So I based the top award off of that. I've got one sitting on my table. The next rating, if something is above average, but it is not good enough to get an undie and it is not bad enough to get the next rating, I will give it a Stanley. And there are good Stanleys and bad Stanleys, with a good Stanley being much closer to an undie. And the final rating for something that I think is absolutely trash, I will give a Toby. If it is not worth your time, you should pass it. Don't even look at it once. I give it a Toby. And if you know The Office, you know just what that means. Alright, so, I give The Mandalorian Season 1 an undie award and hopefully Season 2 will follow in its footsteps. October 30th, Mandalorian Season 2 coming at you. Next up here, we have a new Star Wars rumor claiming the upcoming Obi-Wan series on Disney Plus will be taking place in two different time periods, with Kessel Run transmissions claiming that the upcoming adventure will chronicle the Jedi's journey in two different time periods. When the project was initially announced, it was confirmed that the narrative would take place between the events of the last prequel film, Episode 3, and Star Wars A New Hope, Episode 4. But this recent rumor is now claiming it will also take place in the events of the Clone Wars, with maybe flashback sequences. Now, this allows the possibility 
for Hayden Christensen to possibly come back and reprise his role as Anakin Skywalker. Now, some people may not be privy to that, but I think it would still be really, really cool to see him come back and see him as a Jedi once again, because I feel like they can do... I Well, well let me rephrase that. I feel like they know so much more about what fans want, and it's not George Lucas running the show here, muddling things up with the prequels. Don't get me wrong, I love George Lucas. There's a lot of things about the man that I hate, but I will always love him for what he gave me and what he gave the generation before mine, and just what he has given millions of people across many decades. So, this would be really cool, because I think it would also be really cool to see a lot more of the Clone Wars action take place in a live-action TV show. I feel like they could explore a lot more, and I just feel like they could pull so much from the Clone Wars animated series. The Clone Wars showed us just how cool Anakin is as a Jedi. The Clone Wars showed us just how cool those prequel movies could have been. This is their chance to go back and try again. Now, that is only if the Obi-Wan series ever truly does come to production, come to fruition, and Ewan McGregor signs on, because right now, there are a lot of delays going on with that show. There are a lot of problems between Ewan McGregor and Disney as a whole, and I don't know if they're going to strike a deal and make this happen. If they don't, do they continue to do the Obi-Wan series and recast Obi-Wan? I don't think so. I just don't think you can. I mean, I guess you could, but it just would not be the same. But if it does come to production and Ewan McGregor does sign on and even Hayden Christensen comes on, if this rumor were true, that would be really cool, in my opinion. Back in 2017, Mark Millar's entire publishing line was acquired by Netflix, with every property he's created, not currently tied up at another studio, of course, now owned by the streaming service. So, coming up first, from his publishing line that will be turned into live action by Netflix, is Jupiter's Legacy. And now we know which of his projects will be up afterward. When he was asked for an update, he replied, Huck, Prodigy, and Sharky our next four movies shooting. Empress in the next run with Space Bandits and Sandra Bullock's Reborn coming up next. Now, Reborn, with Sandra Bullock attached now, is very exciting for me because I loved the comic. I love all of his comics, but Reborn in particular was a really interesting premise that I think could be very well done on Netflix. I'm very excited for that. Now, the update from Mark Millar is a bit of a surprise, as news on all of these projects has really been silent, except for Reborn. As noted by Millar, Sandra Bullock is attached to both produce and star in the film, which puts a unique spin on what happens to people after they die, turning the ideas of heaven and hell on their head, and revealing that you actually end up in a fantastical land full of magic, dragons, and battles, and will be directed by Chris McKay, who also did the Lego Batman movie, and Beck Smith penning the script. So with not much news coming out from these movies that he just replied about, and all of this news coming out of Reborn, it's really surprising to see that Reborn is not the movie next up, that it's actually in his later batch of projects. So this is all very interesting. That will wrap up Popsy Weekly. Time to head on over to... DC Weekly.
and DC Weekly. This episode, I'm going to be going over my rewatch of Titans Season 2. Not going to be spending a ton of time on this, however, I wanted to mention it because this is a lot of your first times listening to me on a podcast, so it's important for me to kind of let you know what are my tastes, what do I like, what am I all about. Well, let me tell you something about Titans. I thought that Season 1 was a very phenomenal season of television. I loved how they broke all of the rules with that season. That was a lot like a one-shot episode type season as as well, speaking of this show and The Mandalorian. But Titans Season 1, I loved how they focused on different characters and different stories on each episode. And you can clearly tell at the beginning of this Season 2 that that was originally supposed to be the season finale for Season 1, but I think they got renewed and decided, all right, this is what we're going to do. I I disagree completely with what they did with season two. There were some good things with season two. Do not get me wrong. Deathstroke was awesome. I like this Deathstroke more than I like the Arrowverse Deathstroke, which is surprising because that is a great Deathstroke as well. And if you do not know, I am a major Deathstroke fan. He Actually, he used to be one of my favorite villains, but after reading more and more of him in the comics, after seeing him more in Arrow and Titan Season 2, he has become my all-time favorite villain. It is Deathstroke. He might even be my all-time favorite comic character of all time, but if I had a gun to my head and was forced to give you an answer, it's Batman because it just is who the hell doesn't love Batman and the greatest cast of supporting characters of all time like Alfred, Barbara Gordon, Jim Gordon. Jim Gordon is one of the best supporting characters ever in comics, TV, movies. I I don't care. He just is, And and I love Batman, but man, I love me some Deathstroke. And I really liked the Deathstroke in Season 2 of Titans. Now, I'm not going to spoil anything, but what they did with Donna Troy in the Season 2 finale, I am absolutely disgusted by. It is almost as if they had filmed all of Season 2, and then all of a sudden, in the very middle of filming the finale episode, they decided, oh, We're going to write Donna Troy out of it. And I guess that is a bit of a spoiler, but I I just can't help it. I had to mention it. I I just don't get it. There is really no setup for it. None at all. I mean, I guess you could argue that her leaving for Themyscira, that, that she hates being here. I guess you could say that that was part of it. And what happens to her had to happen for her to close her character arc. Bullshit. Bullshit. There are so many different ways you could have went about that. And also, how they ended Deathstroke's story arc in this season also disgusts me. The only thing I can think of is that he is going to be in the next season or the season after as well. Because first off, I don't think you throw away that character. That character is so good and represented such a good contrast to Dick Grayson throughout the whole season, in my opinion. And... I I loved him. His Deathstroke costume is so cool. It is so badass. But Rose? I don't really like the Rose story. I felt like we actually should have gotten a little bit more of that to make that a little more influential. Jason Todd? Clearly they were setting up Red Hood since they announced that at DC Fandom, but I don't feel like they did enough. I feel like Jason Todd was just kind of being a little bitch about it all at the end. I mean, yeah, he has some grievances, for sure. 
but I don't feel like all of that was enough to drive him to be Red Hood. So is something else going to happen at the beginning of season three? I I don't know, but it's almost as if they were like, oh my god, we did so good with season one. We gotta tone it down. We can't be as good in season two, because that is exactly what happened. This is one of the biggest sophomore slumps I have ever seen in a TV series, and I understand why. I understand that they wanted to be a little bit more colorful, so to speak. They wanted to be more user-friendly, so to speak, with season two, but at the same time, they dug deep with characters and story arcs, so it's like you almost had to be a DC fan to truly, truly appreciate what they were doing, but at the same time, they were trying to be user-friendly for the general audience. It just didn't make sense. It kind of clashed with each other in a lot of ways. I just don't understand why they felt the need to tone everything down in season two. I feel like they much more should have went with the same concept that they had in season one, but add an overall plot and an overall villain to it, which they did with Deathstroke. The Blackfire stuff was so stupid. It really didn't serve much of a purpose in season two. I mean, I I get you were setting her up, but man, you're going to spend an entire season to set her up, and now it looks like she's not even going to be the main villain of season three, which I'm happy for. I did not want Blackfire to be the main uh, villain of season three. I feel like they can do other things. Now, some people are arguing that Titans is getting way too Batman friendly, and they are pulling way too much stuff from the Batman universe. You know what? I just can't bitch about that. You give me all the Batman stuff in the world. I will take it over and over. I will take it recycled. I will take it hot. I will take it cold. I will take it any way. Batman stuff is awesome. And I am never going to complain if I get more of it ever, ever, ever. But I really hope that they learn from their mistakes in season two and step it up big time with season three because, man, season one was a gem. And I really hope they can go back to their roots with what they did in season one. I I just, man. Oh, and and talk about Bruce Wayne. That was a terrible, a terrible Bruce Wayne. Not character. Well, even character-wise, yes. But casting-wise, why would you cast him to play? I got to get off my soapbox here. I, I do. I just do. Or I'll keep going on. So let me rate this bad boy. Titans season two, in my opinion, is two and a half Cryptos out of five, loved Crypto in season two, by the way. Didn't think we got enough of him, but I understand with CGI and everything. Oh, that was another thing. Man, the CGI was horrific in season two. God, I'm about to talk myself to knocking it down to one out of five. My goodness. So two and a half Cryptos out of five. We're going to give it a straight up Stanley. Very close to a bad Stanley. Very close to a bad Stanley, but... Deathstroke brings it out of the depths and keeps it right at an even keel, Stanley. I I just almost want to crack up every time I say that or anything related with the rating system. It is so stupid, but yet I love it at the same time, so whatever. But season one? I'm going to give season one four batarangs out of five in a straight-up undie award. That is all I have for you guys in DC Weekly this episode. Let's hit up Marvel Weekly. Natalie Portman has touched down in Australia to reportedly begin filming 
Thor, Love, and Thunder. Now, of course, Oscar winner Natalie Portman has been the recipient of a ton of hate throughout her time in the MCU, and she even reportedly revealed that she had some issues with the higher-ups in the MCU, but now apparently all of that has been put to bed as Natalie Portman is set to return to the world of Thor, but in a very different role as her character Jane Foster becomes the female Thor in Taika Waititi's Ragnarok follow-up, Thor Love and Thunder. Jason Aaron wrote a great, a great female Thor Jane Foster run. It was so, so good. I, I, I can't get into that. I'll talk about it forever. But in the comic books, the character became ill with cancer and received assistance from Asgard. And in the process, she proved herself worthy to wield Mjolnir. Now, in a twist, each time Foster picked up the hammer and turned into Thor, her cancer treatments would be reversed, which added a great sense of sacrifice to the whole run. And it was just absolutely phenomenal the way that they did that. Now, every time they would be reversed, they would add a complete element of conflict to her situation, and she dealt with it over and over and over. Now, Natalie Portman's greatly expanded role as Jane Foster slash female Thor in Love and Thunder was revealed back in 2019, last year, but there has not been a lot of news since then about either her or the movie. Now, though, the Daily Mail is reporting that Natalie Portman has arrived with her family in Australia and are saying it is to begin work on the movie. Though, I will point out, there has been absolutely no confirmation at the time of this recording on this or indeed on when the movie is supposed to start filming. However, images of Portman and her children arriving at the airport in Sydney can be seen on ScreenRant.com. And if Portman is indeed in Australia to begin filming on Thor Love and Thunder, that would imply that production has begun on the film a lot earlier than we anticipated, especially after the film was delayed earlier this year due to the pandemic. And last up here for Marvel Weekly and Episode 6, I have some words that Ant-Man 3 director Peyton Reed had with Sirius XM. So, as you guys know, Marvel is a secret powerhouse. They do not give out any bit of information that they do not plan on giving out months, maybe even sometimes years ahead. So, for him to divulge anything about the movie is surprising. Now, of course, he does not divulge much, but maybe the biggest takeaway from this is that Peyton Reed is still working on Ant-Man 3 through the COVID-19 pandemic. And in the interview with Sirius XM, he said these words, quote, Let's see, what am I allowed to say? We are working our way through the pandemic. There are some really, really, really exciting things in store, none of which, of course, I can speak to you about right now, as is the Marvel way, but I think the third Ant-Man movie is going to be a much bigger, more sprawling movie than the first two. It's going to have a very different visual template, and that's all I will say, end quote. Now, Peyton Reed definitely did not provide a lot of interesting detail here, but he did a little bit. 
Now, the first two Ant-Man movies focused on relatively contained threats, but they've done a successful job in setting up the quantum realm. So, I believe Peyton Reed is hinting that Ant-Man 3 will see a continued exploration in a big way of the quantum realm and the dangers it poses, especially when he talks about a much different visual template. So, we could very well be spending a big chunk of the film within the quantum realm. We will see. Now, Reed might also be suggesting that Ant-Man will face up against more dangerous and Earth-threatening villains in the future, especially since he has now been accepted as a solid member of the Avengers, especially after his time heist idea in Avengers Endgame. So far, Ant-Man has been seen as a somewhat lower-tier franchise within the MCU, even though it did set up important premises for other Marvel films. Hopefully, Reed will bring Ant-Man the recognition it deserves, and in its new installment, it will emphasize the Quantum Realm's role in MCU's Phase 4, I would hope. And with Evangeline Lilly's role being of equal influence as Rudd's in the third movie, Reed could also draw attention to the significance of female superheroes in the MCU, as I believe is still desperately needed in the MCU. And they could even set up a possible future Young Avengers film with the now-teenaged Cassie Lang. It's hard to tell exactly what direction Peyton Reed's going to go with Ant-Man 3, but based on his success with the franchise, fans can look forward to a fascinating yet humorous film in 2022. And that will do it for episode six of Pop C Underground. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and please go leave a review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else reviews can be had because I need to get the word out some more. Brand new show bringing you a lot of effort that I put into this thing. So please get the word out. Please subscribe if you like the show and tell your friends about it. Tell your friends about the crazy dude who gets on here and just talks about all kinds of shit. But if you cannot get enough, always remember to follow us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at Popsy Underground. And I am taking this thing full-time. I am full-time with this podcast, putting a lot of work and effort into this thing. If you feel the need to tip the show, you can do so at the tip jar link at the bottom of the show notes. Guys, once again, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Thank you for staying to the very end of the episode. And just thank you overall for jumping on this new adventure with me, this solo adventure. And I really, really appreciate it. I could never explain to you the appreciation I have that anybody listens to this show. I always used to say on the Supercast, and my other co-hosts used to say as well, that I would always podcast and do this show if even one person was listening. If I can bring some news, some reviews, some love, some entertainment, some whatever the hell to just one person, it is all worth it. And I truly, truly mean that. Now, some of you may get on here and think I'm crazy and I'm stupid and I'm an idiot. You know, whatever, maybe I am. Maybe I am a crazy, stupid idiot. But I'm a crazy, stupid idiot who loves comics and who loves pop culture Anything that has to do with pop culture, I am all over. I love it. Anything from Godzilla to Marvel to DC to Christopher Nolan films to TV shows to video games to whatever. And oh, one thing I want to mention, Cyberpunk 2077 is my number one most anticipated game of this year. My number one most anticipated game since their last game from CD Projekt Red, 
The Witcher 3 The Wild Hunt, which is my favorite game. However, God of War is quickly becoming my favorite franchise. I continue to play that game. The game that was on PS4, the way they reinvented it and added Nordic mythology to it, I thought was genius. Now, if you're playing Avengers and you like the way Thor plays, I'm telling you, go play God of War. The way he throws his axe and it comes back to him, the the mechanics, the gameplay mechanics of that are so great. The gameplay mechanics of Kratos himself are absolutely phenomenal. And when I talk to my children, I all the time say, hey, boy, 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 I got that from that game. That game did that to me. But I love that game. God of War is phenomenal. I cannot wait for the new generation of consoles to come out. I will be picking up the PS5 Digital Edition. I had changed my mind. I was originally going to get the new Xbox, but... And that was because of how much more powerful the new Xbox is going to be than the PS5. But all of these new rumors that are coming out about features of the haptic feedback and the 3D sound immersion that the PS5 controller is going to give you, adding a rumor that it will also be able to ID you from you holding the controller. Man, just all these cool features seem really cool at the PS5. But the number one reason why I'm going to get that over the new Xbox is because of the launch titles. Xbox has nothing right now, and when Halo Infinite got delayed into next year, I said, all right, that's it, I'm getting the PS5. I have always been an Xbox guy at heart, but I love both consoles. The PlayStation 2 was the first, no, I'm sorry, the first PlayStation was the first console I ever had. Crash Bandicoot was the first game I ever fell in love with. I think I was really little at that time, because I'm 28 now, but man... PlayStation is going strong, and it seems that PlayStation is actually more committed to the console gaming community than Xbox is. That's yet to be seen, especially since the new Xbox console is maybe, like, we gotta wait for them both to come out and really dive into it, but it seems that it's actually significantly more powerful than the PS5. Now, that also depends on what you think about power and all of that good stuff. I'm not a technological genius. I cannot speak for that, but it does seem that it will be a lot more powerful. So I am very excited for Cyberpunk 2077. I cannot wait for that game to come out. CD Projekt Red is my absolute all-time favorite gaming studio. I I mean, what they do, they just put so much craft and love into their projects, and they do not rush a thing They do not rush a damn thing. And Cyberpunk 2077 is what they started working on after The Witcher 3 came out. So they've been working on this thing for a hot minute. And I cannot wait to see what they produce with it. Guys, once again, thank you so much for listening. Do not forget to follow me on social media. Do not forget to subscribe. Do not forget to leave a review or I will come after you. But thank you all the same. I appreciate it. I will see all of you guys in a couple days on the next episode to review... The Boys Season 2. Oh, I cannot wait. All right, guys. I'll see you then. Later. Later.